circumnavigated the globe on a little sailing boat. Without mm. GPS when you can't even, when sometimes we can't even go three miles without GPS, right? It's crazy. Right. She's I actually, I always use celestial navigation any, anytime I go anywhere. <laughs> this is Behind the Lens, a podcast from The Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Hellman. On this week's episode, the New Orleans City Council has delayed the proposed contract extension for the controversial jail health care provider amid controversy over the quality of care provided to inmates. And the mother of a teenager killed by law enforcement in Jefferson Parish last week alleges that Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office deputies shot her son without announcing themselves or giving him a chance to surrender. Those stories, insight, and analysis coming up on Behind the Lens. Joining us this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crastel. Hey, Nick. Hey, Carolyn. Staff reporter Katie Rechtal's here. Hey, Katie. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. All right, Nick, despite serious concerns about whether detainees are receiving adequate care, city officials have asked the New Orleans City Council to sign off on a year-long $21.2 million contract with WellPath, the longtime private health care provider for the Orleans Justice Center, the city's jail. But the New Orleans City Council has said, in essence, not so fast. What's going on here? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're basically reading into what they did at the last regular city council meeting, which is that they deferred this item, which was a the contract extension uh, approval, basically, um, for the jail's private health care provider. Um, And so it's unclear what's going to happen next. They they did defer it, but now it could you know, come up as early as, as next week in another regular council meeting. Um, they could send it to a committee and get a full hearing on it, um, which is what uh, city councilwoman Helena Moreno has has suggested they would like to do. She's really been the only one who's been outspoken about really wanting to kind of evaluate the performance of, of WellPath in the jail. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen how this is going to move forward. An interesting aspect of this is the current contract for WellPath has already expired. Right. So they are right now working without a contract and have been for the last two weeks. Um, you know, I think the city and WellPath would probably like to get that resolved, regardless of kind of you know whatever whatever reservations the city may have or the, the sheriff's office may have about the care that's being provided in the jail. I think they they'd like to get this contract signed because um, you know without it, I don't think well you know WellPath has um is continuing to provide service in the jail but i don't think wants to be working without a contract right of course not so um we've talked about this this group and i i forget if it was a year or so ago that they put out an rfp uh for for other uh providers to to bid on this and um it came down to lsu and wellpath but they chose wellpath because remind us of what that case was. LSU didn't have the um, details in, in how they would provide the care. Yeah, the, the LSU's proposal, if I recall correctly, was really focused on providing mental health care. And I think there was concern that there wasn't enough details about providing kind of general medical care in the facility. And, um, you know, I think even some of the people who have been critical of WellPath kind of saw these uh, omissions in, the, in LSU's proposal. And whereas WellPath, you know, WellPath is is one of the largest, if not the largest, private, you know, correctional health care providers in the country. 
they do this stuff all the time. Um, they're, you know, proposing uh, contracts to, to local and state governments. Um, so I really have a lot of experience doing this. LSU, you know, far less so. Um, so during the RFP process, um, despite the fact that, like I said, lots of city officials have expressed, you know, displeasure with Wellpath's performance. And, and now Sheriff Susan Hudson, during her campaign, basically said, I want, I want to tear up this contract and, and, you know, find someone new. Really, when it came down to it, uh, they, were, they were the only option that the, that the selection committee felt was viable at the time. So now, now there is a question of, you know, all right, it's been a year we went with this, you know, provider that lots of people weren't happy with. And now there's been some new information from jail monitors that, that there has been inadequate care at the facility and uh, people aren't receiving, you know, mental health care. Um, there's not enough registered nurses on staff, um, which is leading to people being misdiagnosed and, and not getting the treatment they need. So what do we do now? Do we issue a new RFP right. and go through this whole process again? You know, there's no guarantee that they'll get another better proposal, but you know, they're, they're they could try it and, and hope that they do. Um, or do they keep renewing this contract with WellPath? So right. that's kind of what I think the, some of the council members are considering and probably what the city is considering as well. Do you know what the competitive market out there is like for companies like WellPath? You said they're this huge national um, organization that this is their business. This is what they do. They're huge contractors for medical services in facilities like this. Uh, presumably there are others. Um, what's, what are the chances that, that they would get some other interest because last time they didn't? Yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know exactly what the, what the overall market is like. I mean, I do know that what, um, Sheriff Hudson has has said is that she would really like a provider that has connections to the community. So someone like LSU actually may right. have been more aligned with what what she was looking for. So I think probably the hope would be that that someone like LSU or some other you know local provider um, could put together a proposal that would you know actually um, sufficient enough to to go ahead and give give them a shot at it. Um, I don't know to what degree that 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 would happen um, or or, you know, kind of the the various factors at, at play in, in who's um, responding to these proposals and, and who's not. But I think that's what what they would like. Mm -hmm. And it should be noted that right now, um, WellPath contracts with Tulane to provide mental health care at the facility and in, for, you know, a while. That was really a source of, of um, one of the few places where, where the jail monitors were really, uh, really praised the, the care that was, was taking place in the jail. Interesting. For a while. And, you know, we'll see what this report says um, about mental health care in the facility now. But, you know, there is a connection between the kind of care that's provided and the general operations of the jail. And we know the jail has been extremely understaffed. There's been a lot of other issues at the jail. Um, so, you know, I think there's probably criticisms to be made of WellPath's performance, but that also it also ties into kind of the general jail operation. Right. I was just going to ask you if this is the perennial story here that they're they're giving that uh, understaffing. This is a problem. We can't we can't hire adequate staff. 
Yeah, I mean, that is what we're hearing from from both WellPath and from the sheriff's office. And yeah, to what extent another provider would be able to remedy that? I mean, you know, I think right. that's probably a guess. Right. So you said uh, it may go to committee? Yeah, it's unclear. And I think we'll know um, at the beginning of next week, we'll get the agenda for, for the full city council meeting. And um probably get a better sense from council members than whether or not it's going to be voted on um you know this is speculation but i wouldn't be surprised if it did get put on next week's agenda and and get voted on i think um the administration would is is really pushing for that um as far as i can tell and so that that would be my guess but it still could potentially potentially uh, go to a committee hearing Okay. I think the thing um, that's interesting to me is that um, Tulane did come in with a lot of stroke when they came in to the jail to provide psychiatric services to help WellPath sort of, you know, to scaffold WellPath's efforts. And, you know, Dr. Rouse, who was, is one of the people that was working on that stuff uh, from Tulane, is just, he's worked with uh, mentally ill people for a long time. It seemed like it was gonna be a bright spot, like you said, Nick. I don't know what's going on lately with that, but it, I think, I don't know, when you have something that doesn't run well, the jail is just, the personnel is so spare and, and there's a lot of training um, that's not seem doesn't seem to be done. Um, maybe it's because the staff turns over so much, but. In the end, I think what happens is when you have a place that doesn't run well, you can't provide niche care within that and do that right either. Just things just don't tick, you know, the, from the smallest detail to the biggest detail, right? So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so a few things too. Uh, this new contract extension that that the city is proposing actually almost doubles the the subcontract with Tulane. So it's going to give them a lot more money. Um, I haven't uh, gotten any answers yet on what exactly that expansion would look like for mental health services at the jail um, if the contract extension gets approved for that amount. Um, but that'll be, you know, interesting to see what Tulane is able to do with a little bit more money. Um, another thing is right now, people with the most serious mental illness in the jail are are being treated in a sort of inpatient facility within the jail called the temporary detention center the temporary mental health center um but there are lots of people on the wait list to go into that facility um so lots of people who should be there that aren't um from my understanding is there's more space available in the temporary detention center to to have more you know um inpatient like treatment but there's not security staff to to fill it uh. um so you know we'll see i don't i don't know if the extra money going to tulane will be able to kind of offset that and somehow they'll be able to to open it up but that's my understanding is that it's it's a lack of security staff um that is preventing a new kind of wing of this more inpatient treatment center to to open up so um, yeah, those are some of the kind of dynamics that play in terms of trying to provide care at the jail. Think about if you've ever had a friend who was bipolar or had some sort of um, 
serious mental illness where that where they were on medication to stabilize they need uh they need a, a full night of sleep they need the lights off they need certain things that a medical tier in some jails can provide you have the lights go off at nine o'clock you have the food that's not served at four in the morning or five in the morning you have those kinds of things that you provide for somebody who's within a mental health ward. I don't know that that's happening in the jail. I haven't heard that that's happening or that that's changed since Hudson came in. I'm not sure why that's not an easy switch to make. I'm not, do you understand? Like, it seems like, so it does seem like operations affect the care you can provide to somebody. If you can't be flexible about and provide a space where people can feel like they can relax at a certain time or all those kinds of the amount of security so they can sleep the lights are low you have regular foods being served those kinds of things need to happen when someone is on serious medication for serious mental illness yeah i mean and i you know went on a tour of the jail not too long ago and saw both the kind of there's open dorm uh tiers and then there's cell tiers and you know they can be pretty chaotic. Certainly the open dorms are just, you know, lots of people hanging out in a relatively small space. It's loud. People are, you know, doing various things. It's not particularly clean. Um, and then, you know, alternatively at this, at the temporary detention center, the mental health facility, it's not a nice, you know, it's kind of in this warehouse uh, separate from the main jail that you walk to. And it's not, it's not a particularly nice facility, but then you get in there and it's, so much Quiet. calmer and it's you know it really is a, a, a really noticeable difference and there's mm. um you know rooms for group therapy um I think there, there's some sort of art therapy and music therapy classes going on there and and the the kind of um energy level is 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 much much lower and you can kind of imagine why why someone would be able to go there and sort of um be restored to some to whatever degree you know possible um so i think that is likely a, a you know a high priority for for people who are try, trying to provide care there is to, is to make more of this space for people where they're clearly you know able to get better much quicker interesting i didn't realize that that was it, that, that that was up and up and running completely the the whole because you know they had that special the whole in the new jail was supposed to be that basically right like yeah, yeah. I mean, they they. It depends who you talk to. I mean, the the certainly lots of people say that that you know Sheriff Gusman um, promised to basically include all this in the in the current jail design. He says he always intended to build what is now known as as Phase Three, um, this right. controversial new facility. Which that that you know should it get built will be the, the mental health facility um, and will be, you know, instead of this temporary detention facility, it'll be, all of it will be in phase three and that's where kind of all the inpatient type uh, clinical care will take place. But, you know, that's, that's, that's years out still, so. All right, well, thanks, Nick. Thank you. You are listening to Behind the Lens. I'm Carolyn Heldman. My guests this week are criminal justice reporter Nick Krastel and staff reporter Katie Rechtal. Hi, I'm Marta Jusen. If you've been a longtime reader of The Lens, you probably know we are a place to learn about important issues. 
especially those underrepresented by other media sources. It's hard work, and it takes a dedicated staff who care about this community. Please make a tax-deductible contribution today to support our work at our website, thelensnola.org slash donate. Thank you. Katie, a really troubling story. A woman named Mallory Keynes, who's a 17-year veteran of local sheriff's offices, including Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office, witnessed a scene last week which left her 18-year-old son, Calvin Keynes III, dead by gunshot at the hands of Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office deputies. Tell us what she said happened. Well, she witnessed it from a, a few buildings down. She was in a parking lot coming in and she saw her son come out of her front door and get into a car. She saw a pickup truck come toward the car. She saw another truck come toward the car in a fast pace that she thought was gonna hit the car. And then she heard gunshots. And I mean, it seems from her account that he probably was killed then. and she didn't hear any announcement saying Jefferson Parish surrender or anything like that. Did she, so, and, and then did she race, try to race to that scene and was um, intervened with by deputies? Or what, what was the next um, sequence of events? Yeah, the deputies wouldn't let her go to that. And, you know, she knows, proto- she knew protocols because she had yeah. worked in the sheriff's office. So she... Yeah really okay she's gonna sit up to the side and just if her if they were gonna arrest her son they were gonna arrest her son she of course when she heard the gunshots she was terrified but then um an NOPD officer um, a woman came over and said I promise you he's he's not he's not shot he's all right and so she she thought that it was gonna be okay you know and so she waited in waited for two hours and then another, a different NOPD cop took her inside and said he didn't make it. Right. It almost sounds like in the intervening hours, there was some theater that maybe took place where there was, will you explain what Mm -hmm. she, what she described? She was sitting in the car. She never heard any other gunshots, but she was sitting in the car, um, at some point, she heard them say, Jefferson Parish, uh, you know, get out of the car, surrender, whatever. But she, they kept telling her to call him. And so she, can, she tried to call him. It was, his phone was, you know, not answering. Um, another friend of who he'd been on the phone with was also trying to call him. Neither one of them ever reached him after those, that initial moment. So... It doesn't seem likely that he survived those initial moments. You know, if he was in the car and they were trying to get him to surrender, you'd think he would answer the phone. I mean, it's interesting, too, because JPSO's own narrative seems to kind of confirm her, you know, to to some extent, the idea that it happened very quickly and that there wasn't this long standoff. You know, they basically said, we boxed him in, he put his car into gear and was going to drive at us. And that's when we, you know, opened fire. And, and it sounds like that would have happened in a matter of, of seconds or minutes. Um, you know, she describes it differently that he would have never had even a chance to put his car into gear that they just boxed him in and started shooting. But either way, that the two hour delay 
it's hard to kind of imagine what that was about and and the asking her to text or call him to surrender um the announcement it's hard to hard to imagine what what you know what that was um nick how would you describe like the video that that we saw from um um the nola streets guys like where what the video just shows the car boxed against a fence in two cars like i don't know how he could even have moved yeah i think it would you know oh you were able to see some street cam footage it was from um, actually from a, 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 a Instagram site that had an Instagram page that had some footage that just showed the deputies by this car and, and you know I don't think they would move the car once once the shooting happened right, right? so I don't know why it it was in a position like a, between like its back was pretty much to the fence and then there were. To the the white pickup was against the front of the car, like she described, and there was another one on the passenger side. I assume that she'd seen the one on the driver's side. So uh, it just feels like there was nowhere for him to go. And those other vehicles that you're describing, presumably, and you write about this in the story, but I'm I'm presuming that those were undercover or unmarked car cop cars. Is that what we're to yeah? They were unmarked understand? cars coming at. Okay. Coming at him. Okay. Yeah. And what of the what of the body cam uh, footage from the officers that were involved in the shooting? We requested it, um, and they, you know, the the sheriff's department um, captain I've been dealing with said that he doesn't expect it to be released for a while. Is that common? Nick, you probably covered more of these recently than I have. I've covered them over the years, but. It's, I know you had talked about one very recent one in which there had been footage released fairly quickly. Yeah, there was a, a shooting by JPSO um, where they were fired at once. It was an altercation in a, in a um, convenience store. And they actually didn't release the body cam footage of that, but they did kind of selectively release some security cam footage from the store. Um, and that was done, you know, within several days, um, I think, you know, not more than a week after the, the shooting. Um, so, you know, they're not, they're not wholly opposed to, to sharing videos of, of these incidents, um, at least, you know, in, in some, some circumstances. So, and I, I believe NOPD often releases them, um, you know, pretty quickly, quickly. when, when some, something like this happens. Um, and I'm not an ex. I, I should probably know what the consent decree has to say about that, but um, I don't off the top of my head. So yeah, I mean, the, you know, the fact is, it's it's the department's decision whether whether or not to to release this video right now, and they clearly um, don't seem interested in it. So we'll see. What's she saying, Mallory Keynes? How's she doing? And and what's she I mean, saying now? I mean, she's heartbroken, I think it's safe to say. She's heartbroken, mm. for, you know. She felt like she'd done that job before. She was going to stand back and watch the deputies apprehend her son. She thought, okay, that's the way this works. You apprehend him, he goes through the process, you know. So she was pretty, you know, she's a lot more pro-law enforcement than I think sometimes you hear in these instances. 
she was very cooperative, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that she wasn't trying to fight the cops at the scene or any of that stuff that you sometimes hear about, or, you know, even yelling at the cop at the scene. She was completely compliant. She sat in a car for, for two, two hours, hours thinking that they were going to be real with her. So she's heartbroken. Two you- son that just graduated from high school, you know, he... He was in some trouble, don't get me wrong, but but still, that's what happens sometimes with young men. It's not like everybody continues a life of crime all their life, you know? If this were a, a script on a TV show or a movie, um, this intervening time and their delay and these, this, I called it theater before, um, these moments of, of performance, um, where they, you know, get down and the, they're yelling at we all now presume to be a body, um, Calvin Keynes, and telling her that it's all going to be okay. All this intervening time is to get their story straight. This is, this is the script I'm writing. Do you agree <laughs> with that being the script? Yeah, you can see, you can see in those, in the camera... It looks like there is a lot of sort of discussion among the guys who are at the scene, right? And I wish we had, I wish we could, we had a big boom camera, a big boom mic that could reach in and get that. Because you can't hear it, of course, what they're saying. But Mm. I'm, you know, in the movie, that's when the cop says, oh shit, right? Yeah. What are we going to do? Right. And mom is right over there. Right. Um, the body cam footage is completely at the discretion, Nick, of the sheriff's office or the responding law enforcement office. I think for now, um, unless, you know, someone, someone files a, a lawsuit to try and try and get it for, um, whatever reason. Um, but th- I think that. For now, as as they're investigating, they can release it as as they decide to. You know, for until very recently, Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office deputies didn't wear body camera footage. Um, sorry, didn't wear body cameras. Um, so this is a relatively new thing in the first place, and I don't think there's any obligation for them to to release it. Um, you know, I think a lot of times you see these things released because there's a public outcry. Um, and I think, and, and there's, there's pressure. Um, if there's nothing to hide, why not, why not release the footage? Yeah. I mean, I think that that would be the position of, you know, of, of certainly, you know, we, we talked to the ACLU and, and, um, of course, Calvin, Calvin's mother as well. So yeah, you know, they, they say it's still under investigation and they're not going to release anything while, while that's going on. And he wasn't alleged to have been carrying any kind of weapon. This was, he was allegedly, according to the police, so the Jefferson Parish Sheriff's Office, he was using his car as a um, weapon of sorts that he was threatening to to run them over. Right. It's a frequent um, excuse of police, or, or, or it's a, let me say this, it's a frequent explanation that's given by police for why did you shoot? This you unarmed know, when person. When you look at national reports... When you look at national reports, you know, using a car as a deadly weapon then requires 
deadly force and return ostensibly. That's how this goes, right? Right. So. Is Mallory Keynes employed currently by a sheriff's office or New Orleans Police Department, or is she retired from that job? She's she's left. She left. She worked for she worked for Orleans. She, then she had she had little kids. So then she switched to Jefferson because the shifts were better. And then she switched back to Orleans. So then um, she's she's left the job, but she um, she was I mean she was there for a long time. Right until, since right after right after Katrina, I think she started. So she's got a, a couple of hard weeks ahead, and and um, you know I think that then she'll probably turn to trying to understand what happened why he had to die or why they said that he, that they shot him instead of right now, she's just trying to figure out how to put the money together and the, you know, honor his memory. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a tragic story. It's sad. Sorry. All right, gang. I don't know how to get out of this. Yeah, neither. I mean, I think te- check back with us, you know, after the funeral. The, my guess is that she's going to be back on trying to understand why, um, what she can do to um, get justice for him. Yeah. But I think we need to give her a few weeks to to deal with his funeral arrangements. Yeah. And we'll see in the meantime if... Uh... JPSO releases any more information or any footage. Be really interesting to see it. All right. Well, um, thanks for your time, you all. Thank you. Okay. All right. Bye. This is Behind the Lens, a podcast from the Lens, New Orleans' first nonprofit, nonpartisan public interest newsroom. I'm Carolyn Heldman. Thanks to our guest this week, criminal justice reporter Nick Crestel and staff reporter Katie Rechtal. You can read all the week's other news plus opinions at our website, thelensnola.org. Thanks for listening. <laughs>